Those of us in campus public safety have been working really hard day and night thinking about how we can improve campus safety on our campuses across this nation. Campus Roll Call is designed to provide a space for practitioners, academics, community members, and department members to engage in thoughtful conversations about issues that matter to us. My name is Ronnell Higgins. I am the Director of Public Safety and Chief of Police at Yale University. I want to welcome you to Campus Roll Call. Welcome to Campus Roll Call Podcast, a forum for candid conversation about race, equality, policing, public safety, leadership, and community from our unique perspective here at Yale University. I'm Anthony Campbell, the Assistant Chief of Police, and I'm joined today by with Mary Orsak, who is a senior here at Yale University. Mary is working towards her bachelor's in Russian and has post-graduation plans that include continued study of Slavic languages and literature. And I also believe that she will be a Rhodes Scholar in the future, hopefully. <laughs> With that, I'd like to introduce you, Mary. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thanks, Chief Campbell. I'm so glad to be here. It's great to so, as you said, I'm a senior in Pearson College, majoring in Russian, and I first got involved with the ACCP, um, and that was my first introduction to policing here at Yale. And I've been so honored to be able to be part of these really important conversations today. I look forward to this one as well. Fantastic. Mary talked about the ACCP. The ACCP is the Advisory Committee for Community Policing. Um, how long have you been on the board now? I've been on it for one year now, and it's been an incredible experience. What did you learn most about the ACCP? Um, joining the board, what was your expectation and what have you learned during that one year? I was just so fascinated in the different perspectives of the various community stakeholders, whether okay. they were New Haven residents, Yale faculty, Yale staff, uh -huh. graduate students and undergrads. And I think everyone came with this different perspective of what the Yale police should look like and what reform could be. And so I was just so fascinated to get outside of my bubble of what undergraduate security looks like and safety okay. and to think more broadly about the fact that this is a larger ecosystem that does not just focus on undergrads. And so my expectation was that we would discuss the recommendations of how the Yale police could improve, mm -hmm. um, but I really didn't think that we would ever reach a place that we did, in which we were really pushing the envelope about what could reform look like and being able to all voice our opinions and learn so much from each other. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the biggest takeaways that I gained from it is that Yale undergraduates need to do better job of being involved in the Yale community and the New Haven community. And that means leaving the bubble and in a safe and healthy way that is respectful of the community that is so lovely in fostering us and hosting us. Yes. And I think there's so much room for improvement there from the undergrads. I really appreciate you talking about um, that relationship and the fact that undergrads have an opportunity to get more involved in the community and making changes that directly affect the way we deliver services to them and to the larger community. So I thank you for your participation. Um, but what what mainly got you involved in or interested in public safety to begin with? 
I'm a huge advocate of mental health equity, and so I first got involved as a way of advocating for more reforms to deal specifically with mental health, especially wellness checks, right. um, which is something I feel very passionate about. And so I was so excited to have these conversations and think about how do the police function mm-hmm. in our mental health care apparatus, mm-hmm. and what should that role And so I was so fascinated by your perspective and the perspective of other members of YPD about how the police can assist. And I was also coming at it from the perspective of what do mental health professionals look like in these wellness checks and how can these two two different groups that have totally different backgrounds, experiences and trainings Mm -hmm. cooperate to help protect the safety and security of Yale students and the larger community. That's fantastic. And it leads me into our topic for discussion today, which is really about mental health. And one of the things that I find really interesting is that many people, um, undergraduates, graduates, faculty, staff, many people in the larger community don't realize that just because Yale is an Ivy League school, it is filled by human beings. Um, Human beings who run the gambit of experiences in life, Uh, people who come from all different cultures, and just our common humanity means that people experience crises and many experience uh, mental health issues. Um, And I think sometimes people think that just because people are smart uh, or elite that they will have a much better handle on on their mental health, and that's not always the case. Um, So with that, I have a couple of questions that really touch on mental health that I just wanted to directly get your perspective on. Um, As we discussed before, I know you're a member of the Advisory Committee for Community Policing, and I understand uh, the group plans uh, creatively problem solves and actively engages in innovative strategies promoting public safety and a sense of belonging and mutual understanding between police and campus community. But can you tell I mean, not just about your involvement in the Advisory Committee of Community Policing, but how that involvement has directly impacted mental health. This interview was recorded before we had a chance to complete some of our initiatives. So I wanted to give you an update on what our current initiatives are, particularly with responding to crisis intervention situations. I spoke earlier in the interview with regard to how we have officers responding to students, faculty, and staff who may be in a crisis situation. Our goal long-term is to ultimately have a Yale police officer respond with a trained clinician who would be the primary individual who would work with the student, faculty, or staff member. We have not been able to achieve that as of yet because it is a rather large undertaking. The university would have to hire such clinical staff and they have not done that. So instead, what we've been doing is running a pilot program where we have officers responding in plain clothes. We will continue with that pilot program and try to expand it to all of our shifts rather than just one time frame, which typically was from 6 p.m. until two in the morning. So that is where we currently stand. We're also working with our partners at the SHARE, as well as implementing our new comfort therapy dog, Heidi, to try and meet the needs of the community uh, based on the stress level due to the pandemic, as well as the ongoing 
academic stress that comes with being at an institution of higher learning. And now back to our interview with Mary Orsak. Definitely. I think one of my main questions when I started on the committee was, what is the police's role if a wellness check occurs? Okay. If someone calls and is concerned about the mental health or well-being of someone else, yes. what does a police response look like? And what does an equitable police response look like? And so I was so pleased to hear about the reforms that the YPD had already put into place mm-hmm. in the months and year before I joined the committee. And so I think the knowledge of those responses of sending officers not in uniform, mm-hmm. officers in an unmarked car, mm-hmm. so as to not draw attention, mm-hmm. and all of these strategies that the police community has already developed, mm-hmm. I think hearing those were so important, but I realized I, as someone who's really involved in mental health awareness on campus, had no idea. And if I didn't know, then the Yale community at large definitely didn't know. Mm-hmm. And so I think in those situations where I was imagining you know, I have a sweet mate that I need to check in on and I really could use the help of someone with better experience and training than me. And I'm contemplating, who do I call? Mm-hmm. That information of what the police would do were I to call and show up was so essential. Excellent. And so I'm really glad that, you know, this is an opportunity for us to share that information with the larger community. And I know that it was something that was really important for me to know. Excellent. And I got to tell you, I really appreciate your feedback with respect to how you see the things that we have done, the measures that we have taken to improve our response to people who are in crisis or who are having a mental health episode that needs outside assistance. Um, But to your point, I think that one of the things that we here at Yale PD and on a larger scale at the university can do a better job at is sharing the reforms that we have made. People need to understand that there are different types of policing. Traditional policing has a mindset that, uh, you know, in the 1960s, a contract was formed basically with the community and with the police departments. If you pick up the phone and dial 911, we will come and we will determine whether or not there's probable cause to make an arrest. We will make the arrest and be on our way. And, And if we can't make the arrest, we'll try to find the offender through warrants, et cetera. But In the policing that we practice here at Yale University, what we do is community policing. And community policing is a process that is constantly evolving. And given the fact that mental health has been something that has been not, in my opinion, properly addressed on a larger scale in our country, we here at the university are trying to address it for the benefit of our students, faculty, staff, and our larger community. And that means a lot of the things that you talked about that We understand that many marginalized, historically marginalized members of the community have not always had a great relationship with the police. Um, And even though we may have the best intentions of wanting to help someone, when someone like yourself is concerned about their sweet mate, when a parent is concerned about their child and they call us and say, I haven't heard from them for a couple of days, could you check on them? We wanna do it in such a way that is safe but respectful of the individuals that we're going to serve. And sometimes coming in a uniform can escalate a person's anxiety. It also puts a stigma on people because many people who may be dealing with a mental health issue don't necessarily want others to know that the police had to come and interact with them. So by sending officers who um, are not in uniform, 
even if a student needs mental health assistance and has to be transported over to the health plan, it's much better to have them going with someone not in uniform, going in an unmarked vehicle, because for all people know, they're just having a conversation with some people who came into their room and they went out and went for a drive. Um, so we really are trying to make it so that the services that we provide um, help people and don't exacerbate an already difficult situation. So I appreciate you pointing that out. I, you know, Mary, as you know, we're working to leverage the right resources to respond to safety and mental health issues. Um, I know you have questions about specifically how the Yale public safety team is evolving and making changes in our responses. Um, with regard to questions to how we are evolving, uh, what questions would you have in, in the area of mental health response? I definitely want to know that if, if I were to have a concern about a sweet mate mm -hmm. or a friend, what would calling the police look like? Okay. I know we've already discussed, you know, not wearing a uniform and yes. going in an unmarked vehicle, but are there anything else that would be important for me to know as a student as I'm contemplating my options and considering what is the best tiered response to the situation that I'm dealing with? So that's a great question, and I want to break it down. So let me paint a picture of what it used to look like. So if in the past you called, you had a concern, whether it was you, a parent, a faculty member had a concern about a student, you would call into the dispatch and the dispatcher would pick up the phone and say, yell police, where's your emergency? You would say, oh, I'm concerned about my roommate. Um, I haven't heard from them or they posted something that was alarming to me. We would find out where you were where the roommate is, and then two uniformed officers would be dispatched to uh, your roommate's location. Um, in the past, that had been successful, but it had also created some issues. So what we've done is we've created um, a differential response, which basically means that you get the right resource for the type of call that you're calling about. And that differential response starts from the very moment you call into dispatch now. As I said in the past, it used to be Yale police, what's your emergency? Now the dispatchers will say, Yale dispatch, is this a police, fire, or medical emergency? And the fact that you are saying that this is someone who may be in crisis, someone that you may not have heard from, they're going to differentiate. They're going to ask you some more questions. Um, so is your concern that you haven't heard from this person for a while and you're just wondering, are they in their room? Are they safe? If there is no sense that this person is in any, any immediate harm, there's no imminent danger to their life or safety, rather than send a uniformed police officer, now what we will do is we will dispatch security. A security officer is a non-sworn member of public safety. Um, they wear a completely different uniform than police. They are not armed in any way, and they can respond to the room. They have access to the dorms and entryways, and they can knock on the door and just say, hey, um, you know, someone's concerned about you. We're just checking up on you. Now, that is if the information that we receive at dispatch indicates that this is simply kind of a routine check. Now, if it the information that the dispatchers receive indicate, let's say you've called and you said my roommate posted on 
Instagram or Facebook that, you know, they're basically saying goodbye or they want to harm themselves or now imminent harm may come to them. And when people unfortunately indicate they may harm themselves, it is law enforcement's responsibility to respond, partially because we're the only ones outside of a medical doctor who can make a person go to the hospital uh, when we deem that they can possibly be a danger to themselves or others. Additionally, in many instances where people are planning on harming themselves, they may use some type of force to do that, such as a weapon, a knife, a gun. Um, and so we're not going to send an unarmed individual who could not possibly defend themselves and is not trained to deal with a person in that mental state. So this is a job for law enforcement. Rather than send uniformed personnel, we will now send uh, officers who are in plain clothes. They do have their weapons, but those weapons are concealed. The job is to make contact with the individual because just because someone posted that they plan on harming themselves doesn't mean that they're planning on going through with it and doesn't necessarily mean that they're armed. The officers will now make contact with that individual and they will try to calm them down and to get them over to the health plan. Um, if necessary, if the individual is deemed that they are a danger to themselves, then the officers, if necessary, will commit them. So it's a much different response than you would have gotten in the past. Um, therefore, the name Kinjian training that talks about helping you to understand when you respond to a person in crisis, you also need to have the context of who the individual you you're dealing with is. Is this a historically marginalized individual who may off the rip have issues with law enforcement based on their culture, based on their race, based on their upbringing, and understand that that may be part of the package and you need to be aware of that and you need to be able to address that. Um, those things have helped us to be able to de-escalate the situation up front, and also it helps to reduce the reliance or the necessity for the need for any use of a firearm, a taser, or any weaponry of, of any kind. And I think that the more training an officer has, especially de-escalation, another way to put that is slow things down. Um, if you get there, and you are now interacting with the individual, there is no rush to get this individual either in your custody or to the hospital. If you are having a rapport with them, even if it's, you know, through the door and you can see that they're not harming themselves, um, get your resources there to assist. Reach out. Maybe we can get a clinician to the door. Um, maybe we can get additional resources, whether that is a parent, a roommate, or friends who can assist us to make the contact that we need. Sometimes people don't want to talk to the police. Sometimes they're willing to talk to their roommate, a dean, or someone else, and we can stand by just to make sure that the situation is safe. And I think that one of the things that we have learned and that I truly hope that more police departments across the country learn, slow it down. The, the need to use deadly force, one of the great things is that on a campus setting, no one is supposed to have a weapon uh, on this campus setting. Um, that doesn't mean that people can't have access to 
knives or other instrumentation that can harm an officer, but officers are trained to maintain distance, to use time and distance to their advantage, and to de-escalate the situation as much as possible. There's also, which is a, a, another thing that I think people need to understand, there is a use of force continuum, which does not allow us to simply turn to deadly force immediately. You have to, you're very present, verbalize, hands-on, pepper spray, taser. So you escalate. Um, if the person now is, of course, coming at you with a deadly weapon, then you may have to use deadly force. But those are very rare cases. And I think that in that situation, which I'm familiar with that you described, had the officer taken the time to step back, get the proper resources there, call out, make contact with the individual, there would have been no need to use deadly force. Because it's not just the fact that that woman lost her life, it tears at the credibility of law enforcement um, across the nation. Um, because with social media, uh, now an incident that happens thousands of miles away because becomes something that people start associating with their local police department. So great, great question. Um, also, um, I have a question for you. Uh, we have a lot of resources available to students. Um, how widely known do you think those are? I mean, you did talk about the fact that as a member of the advisory committee for community policing, you found out there were a lot of things that we were doing that you didn't know about, but you interact with other students. How much do you think they know about what we're doing and resources that we have? I definitely think that it is not well known, especially what the police do. And so I think that there is an opportunity for greater clarity and visibility between these two communities, because I think, you know, as we're mentioning, there is hesitation. Mm -hmm. um, and especially in the wake of this last year's, yeah. you know, violence against communities of color by the police, yes. there is a hesitation to associate with contact and use these resources. And so I think knowledge about the ways in which you are recognizing these concerns, addressing them, talking to community stakeholders and yes. asking, what can we do better? That knowledge will help students not only feel safer using these resources, but also simply provide them information. And so I think, you know, knowledge of what these options are is so crucial in those situations because maybe calling the police is not the right response for a concern with a roommate. Mm -hmm. And so knowledge of all of your about, you know, I could call a Yale Mental Health and Counseling's 24-7 hotline through acute care. Mm -hmm. I can call Walden Peer Counseling. Yes. I can call, you know, YC3, this great new initiative by Yale Mental Health and Counseling. There are all these other options. Mm -hmm. um, and so knowing what is available in any situation is so important. And it's, it's challenging because when you're in a crisis situation, you might not have the wherewithal to say, let me Google my resources <laughs> and let me think about, okay, my dean had sent an email that had listed options. Mm -hmm. These need to be ingrained so that when you feel that fight or flight, someone's in danger and I want to help someone, that you know what my options are. Mm -hmm. And all of the information about how these options can respond to mm -hmm. the situations is so critical because they provide different things. Um, that's the whole point is that we have all these different resources for mental health and wellness that can provide different things for different needs and wants. And so to know these these resources off the bat yes. is so important um, and something I'm, I'm really passionate about and I'm doing my best to get the word out. 
Okay. But there is still work to be done. We want to join you in that effort to get the word out. Um, me being 48 years old, um, you know, I have a 20-year-old son who's in college right now. Um, the way I think about getting the word out um, may be different than someone who is a, a rising senior, who is uh, a first-year student at the university. What ways do you think we need to look at getting information out and providing resources to students who may be encountering a variety of situations that are crisis situations for them? And as you said, in that moment, if, if, if in the moment of the crisis, you now have to Google what are my options, it's too late. So what ways can we better provide information to students? I think you're speaking to the crucial point, which is that there is no one way to reach students. And so for some students, it might be Instagram, it might be Facebook or Twitter. So okay. social media is definitely a great thing. But the problem with social media is you might post something and that will create awareness for a pocket of time. Yes. Uh, but as that post slides down the timeline, it's now lost. And so I think having just a barrage of information, whether that's at the first year, you know, FROCO trainings, mm -hmm. or whether that's an email blast that come up regularly, or even something that I've found is just having those phone numbers in your contacts, mm -hmm. um, which is something that the FROCOs I know do at the beginning of the first year is say, put Yale Mental Health and Counseling in your phone, put SHARE in your phone, put the Yale Police Department's number in your phone. Because in those moments, if you just search Yale in your contacts, you'll have the numbers easily available to you. And so I think just sending out the information as frequently and as much as possible is the way to keep it on people's minds. Okay. Because you never know when you're going to need this information. And so yeah. just at the start of the year or just at the new term is not enough because right. these crises happen throughout the semester, throughout the day. And so to have as much information as possible, which I know as a student, your inbox might feel so full and your timeline so full that you're like, I cannot see another post about this. Yeah. But I think something that's this important, this information needs to be disseminated in both analog ways, posters on campus, emails, and you know, adapting to new social media technologies and YouTube. <laughs> Beautiful. So basically you can never do too much, yes. put the information out there. One of the resources that we are constantly trying to hammer home, especially here at Yale PD to all students, faculty, staff, and community members is the Live Safe app. Mm -hmm. Do you think that um, we have definitely tried to make that app evolve, uh, provide more resources on it, including mental health resources. Do you think that if in the process of sending out information to people, we continually link live safe to that, that'll be helpful? I definitely think that having a, an app in which all of that information is centrally stored is so important. Good. And so having that app be as responsive to students and as integrated into yes. their day-to-day -day experiences is crucial to making sure that in those situations, in those crises that, you know, we never anticipate that if we have all this information in one location, yes. it's the easiest to access. Because if you have to go to your inbox, if you have to check your Facebook, right. if you have to Google it, it's, As you said, it's too late. It's too late. And so to have a spot where you can have, you can see all of your options mm -hmm. in the crisis is so important. Fantastic. So Mary, I really appreciate everything that you've brought to the table today. Um, you know, with Thanksgiving and Christmas coming up, winter recess is rapidly approaching. What are your plans for winter recess? What are you going to do? <laughs> I'm headed home to 
Dallas. I'm, Dallas. I'm so okay. excited for a warm winter uh, <laughs> to see my family, my dogs at home. Good. And so looking forward to escaping the cold as it's getting a little chillier. My mm-hmm. like, Texas warm-bloodedness is not prepared. I, so. I love it. I love it. That's good. Do you have siblings? I do. I'm a younger brother. Senior okay. in high school. Oh, my goodness. Any uh, plans for him with regard to college? college okay. not yale, not yale? okay okay i i understand i my idea is a warm coat will solve all your problems but i think it's hard for texans to imagine awesome. imagine a cold winter <laughs> fantastic i i just really want to thank you for not only your time today but for everything that you've done on the advisory committee for community policing um, as I said at the beginning, I truly believe that a year from now I'll ask about you and they'll be like, oh, she's a Rose Scholar. Uh, she's traveling, you know, maybe uh, Russia and London and other parts of the world learning and bringing what you've learned here to the world. Um, and I thank you for what you've done, your commitment to helping your peers, helping this university and helping us here at Yale PD to be better. Um I'm a person of faith and, and, and a minister, and one of the, my favorite verses in the Bible is a verse that says, um, as iron sharpens iron, so does one person sharpen another. I think we get better by having these types of candid conversations. And I think in policing in general, um, we've kind of gotten out of the mindset slowly but surely that we have all the answers. No, we don't have all the answers we come to a better understanding of how to better serve the community, particularly how to have a better student experience in service with us by communication. It is this type of communication and interaction that makes us better. So thank you for being a person who has helped sharpen us, uh, making us uh, better in our, our service and making us better in doing the things that we've sworn an oath to to serve and protect. So I really thank you for your contribution. Thank you for including me and for listening to feedback and criticism, which I know is hard and is hard as a bureaucracy to respond to these things. And, yeah. and I'll admit, I anticipated needing to be more harsh in my criticism when I first joined ACCP, but I learned so quickly that that was not the environment, that you were you had this committee because you wanted to learn. Yes. And you wanted to listen and engage and challenge us to think about our criticisms and, you know, refine them so that we can come to a collaborative agreement. And so I was so glad that I did not need to be as like fierce in my criticism because I had a willing audience. Yes. And so I, I was so impressed. And I think that's something that I will take with me forever that, that people do want to respond and they do want to get better. And so you just have to be willing to work together. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And I encourage you to continue with your Russian studies. Um, I wish you the best of luck. And um, (laughs) you're welcome. That will conclude our Campus Roll Call podcast for today. We ask that you follow us on iTunes, YouTube, and other social media platforms. And if you have any questions for us, make sure you subscribe and reach out to us at Yale PD. We're always happy to answer any questions you may have. Once again, Mary, thank you for joining me. I wish you the best. Thank you. Thank you.